Hello and welcome to Pop Culture Rewrites. I'm Lindsay. I'm Marie. And this is The Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> this movie. We've been really excited about this movie, like, since February. Let me tell you. <laughs> it lived up. It, the way I described this to Peter earlier was it was like eating a candy bar for dinner. I got... <laughs> I got nothing out of it, but it was incredibly enjoyable while it was happening. So enjoyable. Like it, it helps was... that we had a whole bottle of wine split between the two of us. That, that is the only way I recommend watching this movie. For sure. Um, warnings right off the bat, this is going to be a spoilerful podcast. I, yeah. There's no reason it isn't going... It's going to be spoiled. So if, if you have grand plans to see this and are afraid of spoilers, uh, stop listening and come back later. Um, Spoiler, this movie is super predictable. You know, it's... You don't we'll know talk what... about how predictable it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so first and foremost, uh, we just want to give a little bit of a background on the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, I mean, Lindsay wanted to give this. I feel like if you watch these movies or have watched one of them, you have seen all of them, but... Yeah, that is true. Um, so Fast and Furious franchise has been... It's a very big franchise at this point. Um... I would say it is perhaps the most insane modern movie franchise. Oh yeah, for sure. Second, potentially, to Transformers. Yeah, I think Transformers, the difference is Transformers still thinks it's serious, but it's insane, whereas Fast and the Furious has embraced the ridiculousness. Yeah, they, they lean into it hard. It's and it works. It, it works. works really well. I think that, totally that would be works. the difference in the insanity is that maybe that makes Transformers more insane because they think they're making a serious film. I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it's hard to say what's really going on over different there. Different type of insanity. Totally different. <laughs> so I'd say the two main tenets of the Fast and Furious franchise are family and Corona. <laughs> also cars and heists and saving the world saving sometimes. The, saving the world has really gone from, like, the bottom of the list to, like, Maybe, like, the number one thing to family in these films. Like, the first film was street races, and the last film was, like, taking down terrorist cells in Russia with right. a rogue nuclear Oh, yeah, warhead. they're all, like, secret agents now. Yeah. Um, which it's a bizarre, like, evolution. It, ver it really is, especially if you do what I did a couple years ago before The Fate of the Furious and watch all of them with your friends. I have to say this. I genuinely like the first Fast and the Furious movie and think it is a good movie. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I genuinely, whenever I rewatched, I'm like, God, these were so different than they are now. Like, it was taking itself seriously. It wasn't over the top. The, like, stunts that they're doing with the cars and the street racing honestly puts you on edge because it's still, like, you know, early, early, early 2000s, right? Yeah. Yeah. 2001 was the 2001. first one. This, and... You could argue the, this that was the movie that launched Vin Diesel and Paul Walker's, Walker's career. Yeah. Triple uh, X came after Fast and the Furious. He'd have really only done Riddick yeah. prior to this. And, no, that was it. Yeah. Like, I guess he was really saving did. Private Ryan in Boiler Room. but He was, but they were, like, he was more in the background of a lot of those movies. Right. So, yeah, I would agree with you. Um, but anyway, I, I genuinely like the, think it's a good movie. Um, yeah. First of all, it's, it's... The rest I just enjoy. Yeah. It's for different reasons. I want to talk about the naming convention of this franchise, <laughs> because it is bananas. There are currently eight movies. They are filming the ninth one right now, mm -hmm. and there's a tenth one slated. Um, and I'm just going to read these because they make no sense. So the first one is The Fast and the Furious, followed by Too Fast, Too Furious, 
Well, yeah, you have to go with that. With the number twos. Yes, obviously. Uh, the Fast and the Furious, colon, Tokyo Drift. Fast and Furious. Fast Five. Fast and Furious Six. Honestly, that one's the worst name. <laughs> like, what, what a, like, I feel like they had so many opportunities and they just went Fast and Furious Six. Like, how lazy is that? Furious Seven. Right. Now they're getting serious. The Fate of the, of the Furious. And the A was a number eight. <laughs> and then Fast and Furious Nine, which is slated to come out next year. But I don't think that's the title. That's what it is on IMDb right now. Um, the tenth one is currently just untitled tenth film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that will change at some point. But, like, this is insane. Like, okay, if this was the Harry Potter franchise, it would be the Harry and the Potter, to Harry, to Potter, the Harry and the Potter, colon, Azkaban Prisoner, Harry and Potter, Harry 5, Harry and Potter 6, Potter 7, The Hate of the Potter. What? <laughs> but it's amazing. Who let this happen? Who didn't let this happen? Sorry, guys, I'm eating. Who didn't let this happen? This is literally incredible. Uh, when you have the opportunity to do this, no other film franchise can do this purely because the Fast and the Furious has done this, and they, again, only... Because here's the thing. Even with the third one, which has none of the original characters except for Han... Who comes up later, and he's not one of the- Yes, the third one is technically a sequel to Fast and Furious 6. It's very confusing. They're really- Like, chronologically, it's absurd. Mostly because, like, he was in the third one, or the guy who plays Han. Han is a character, he's in the third one, and he gets killed partway through the movie. Yeah. And then he shows up in the fifth movie, and so they're like, oh, we'll just explain this later. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh god, Han is really alive. Nope, nope. Just kidding. Um, so the main stars, or the family, if you will, obviously there's Vin Diesel, Paul Rock, Paul Walker, unfortunately R.I.P. R.I.P. I.P. Um, Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Natalie Emanuel, and then Gal Gadot and Soon Kong were previously in it, but their characters have been killed off. Mm-hmm. And then they have this habit of turning foes into family. So Dwayne Johnson's character, Luke Hobbs, first showed up as the antagonist in the fifth movie. Uh, That's the one where they're in Rio. Right. And they drag a safe through the city. I mean, what a scene. (sighs) Whatever. Um, So he shows, he's the antagonist in that movie. He comes back in the sixth, seventh, and eighth movie and is part of their team. He's just... He's just part of the team now. Yeah, he still works for the DSS. He, like, didn't abandon his law enforcement job. He just is now part of their team. Right. Sure. And then Luke Evans is the villain Owen Shaw in the sixth movie. At the end of that movie, he's, we suppose, killed. But then at the beginning of the seventh movie, we see he was just grievously injured and he's in, like, a medically induced coma. So you would think with this convention, as you're pointing out, you know, he died, but, oh, nope, he wasn't dead. That, like, they could have, not that Han was ever a villain, but that they could have done that with him. But it's like that happened too late. It's like with Han, they panicked and were like, oh no, we'll incorporate it later, even though this movie is clearly taking place in the early 2000s. Like, there is no question. There are like the most ancient Nokia flip phones. Right. It came out in 2006. And they're in Japan, the capital of technology. And they were like, it's fine. It'll come out after. Totally fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, That's also the one with the little Bow Wow in it. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, the guy who plays the main character in Tokyo Drift is mm-hmm. rumored to be in the ninth movie. Oh! But unconfirmed. Hmm. Um, so anyway, so Luke Evans is the villain in six, and then at the beginning of seven, he's in this, like, medically-induced coma, which is where we meet his brother, Deckard Shaw, played by Jason Statham, who is then the villain in the seventh yep. movie. 
So then in the eighth movie, both the Shaw brothers are on their side. Because, sure. Um, and then the villain of the eighth movie is Charlize Theron's character, Cypher, who is going to be in the ninth movie. With some insane hair. Like, insane. She's got, like, blonde dreadlocks. It's weird. It's insane. But so she's in the ninth movie, so I assume she's going to be part of the be team. Be part of the team now. It's yeah. like a weird... It'd be one thing if it happened, like, once, but it's literally happened to every villain since the fifth movie. But see, that's the fifth movie is when they figured out that they had to lean into the nonsense, so honestly, it makes sense. It's like, it works. Like, also, it makes me happy because it means that Idris Elbow is, spoiler, not dead, from the end of this movie, and, and he'll be back. be back in the sequel. Because why would you not want team. Idris Elba in a movie with The Rock again? You would. So therefore, he's going to be back. Period. Obviously. Obviously. All right, so on to this movie, which is The Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. It is the first spinoff mm -hmm. of the franchise. So in November of 2015, Vin Diesel announced that there was going to be a potential Fast and Furious spinoff. Um, and then in October of 2017, Universal announced that the spinoff would center around Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw. Uh, Chris Morgan was announced as the writer. He wrote Wanted. He wrote 47 Ronin. He's currently working on Bride of Frankenstein. He oh. also wrote Fast and Furious 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. <laughs> so he knows the characters. He knows he knows what he's doing. He, that's he why gets it, it. That's why it worked so well within whatever Absolutely. this universe is. Um, Shane Black was originally considered to direct... We know him from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys. But he turned down the project to focus on The Predator. Came out last year. Oh, no. Right? First Choices. of all, oh, no. Second of all, I kind of want to see a Christmas, like... A Christmas Fast, Fast and Furious, Furious movie. Film. Right? And I, we would get that with Shane Black. Wow. I wish he'd done that. I know. Um, he still could. He still could. Um, but actually, Jason Lynn's coming back for Fast and Furious 9. He did like four things. Justin Lynn? Yeah, Justin yeah, Lynn. Because he did Star Trek Beyond, which I love. Yes. Yeah. It's great. I'll take it. Um, so then in April 2018, they announced David Leach as the director. Um, Leach has did, recently he did Deadpool 2. He also directed Atomic Blonde. And then he was second unit director for Captain America Civil War and Jurassic Park. And a lot of good action movies. A lot of good action movies. Well, and he started his career as a stuntman. Oh. So he was a stuntman. He was Brad Pitt's stunt double in a ton of movies in the 2000s. And then became a stunt coordinator. So basically, like, any movie with awesome stunts that came out in, like, the last 20 years, he was he involved with in some ways. So, like, he did Blade, Fight Club, Spy Game, The Matrix, uh, Van Helsing, Troy, Triple X, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Serenity. I'm sorry, Potts. He did Troy. He was Brad Pitt's stunt double. In Spy Game, Troy, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, Fight Club. But again, well. Troy. Troy. That's all I had to say. <laughs> um, what else? Did we pause at your bachelor party and stop everything we were doing because it was playing on the TVs while we were at a bar before dinner? Yes. Yes, we did. What else did he do? Um, v for Vendetta, Underworld Evolution, 300, The Bourne Ultimatum, The Bourne Legacy, Jumper, Speed Racer, Bangkok Dangerous, X-Men Origins Wolverine, <laughs> The Hangover, Tron Legacy, Conan the Barbarian, wow. Jupiter Ascending. Like, he's done, he's been involved in so many movies. So when I found out that he was the one directing this, I was actually kind of excited because he is really, really good at shooting action sequences, and that's what 70% of this movie was. Yeah. No, I remember you told me that even just with that he had done um, 
What did you tell me? Dean? Atomic Blonde. Yeah, and that's what got me really excited. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right. He also brought David Shuneman on as production designer. He worked with him on Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2, mm-hmm. and he also worked on Inglorious Bastards, Cloud Atlas, and Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 and 2 as the art director. Oh. So, hmm, solid crew. Very nice. Casting, uh, Vanessa Kirby was cast as Hattie Shaw. With the I, I have to say, I love, like, love, love, love her. Mm-hmm. She's she's known for The Crown. She plays Princess Margaret. That was pretty much her, like, breakout yeah. role, I would say. She had um, a small role in Jupiter Ascending. I mean, which is no bueno. And, she, so, and then she was in The Crown, and she was in Mission Impossible last summer. Uh, Fallout, yeah. Yeah, and I, like, she is awesome as an, uh, as an action star. Like, yeah, I really, she did a really good she job. She also kicked ass in yeah. this movie. Like, um, I was, I had not high expectations for her, because I was like, okay, it's another right. whatever, but no, she did a really good I kind of thought she was going to be similar to her MI, or her Mission Impossible character, um, who's more of, like, a femme fatale, but mm-hmm. she was, like, just a badass all around, and it was awesome. Like, I love her as an action star. I would die. I would be like, yes, give us more of this. Come back in Absolutely. Fast 9. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I had to say that. Yeah. Um, Idris Elba was also cast the same time as Vanessa Kirby as the main villain, Brixton Lore. What did a not name. realize his last name was Lore. Neither did I. <laughs> what a name. These um, names, man. And then in January of this year, Dwayne Johnson revealed that his cousin, professional wrestler Roman Reigns, would appear in the film as Hobbs' brother Jonah. Mm-hmm. And Helen Mirren was also confirmed to be reprising her role from the face of the Furious as Queenie, Shaw's mother. Amazing. And then there's a little bit of a controversy, a family feud, if you will. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so the, you, I have to say, the, the family feuds in the FFs series, I love them. I cannot wait for Lindsay to explain this. I love this so much. They're so stupidly petty. It's so stupid. So, Universal's announcement of Hobbs and Shaw prompted Tyrese Gibson, who is in all of the FF movies, to criticize Dwayne Johnson on Instagram, uh, saying he was causing the ninth Fast and Furious movie to be delayed for another year. And then Vin Diesel openly expressed his disappointment that the first Fast and Furious spinoff would center around Johnson and Statham's characters. Um, and then he and Dwayne Johnson have allegedly had an ongoing feud since the filming of Fast and Furious mm-hmm. 8. Um, so rumors from people on set state that both actors were, like, huge divas. Like, they would show up late on purpose when they are supposed to be filming scenes together and, like, just basically like, out-diva each other as much as they could. Um, after filming of the eighth movie wrapped, Johnson posted a tribute on Instagram in which he mentioned all of his coworkers and thanked them for the experience, with the exception of Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> which is, like, so petty. So petty. Um, and reportedly they had a sit-down meeting to try and work things out for the future of the franchise, but Dwayne Johnson confirmed he will not be appearing in the ninth movie due to scheduling conflicts. He's filming Jungle Cruise, which is a V-important film. He actually already finished Jungle Cruise. Never mind, he's probably filming, like, another movie that's just, like, Rampage or that other one that he did. Skyscraper? Yeah, that. Or Jungle Cruise. Or Jungle Cruise. (laughs) Jumanji Dose. That's also already done. Yes. Whatever. Um, and then in October of 2018, Fast and Furious producer Neil H. Moritz filed a lawsuit against Universal for breach of oral contract and committing promissory fraud after the distributor removed him as the lead producer for Hobbs and Shaw. Um, and then it was revealed in May of this year that Universal had actually dropped him from all future uh, Fast and Furious installments. Amazing. It's not totally clear why. I just have to say, this, like petty feud between The Rock and Vin Diesel, now that I've seen the movie, Hobbs and Shaw, 
like, honestly, it makes the... It's because Dwayne Johnson is so much more charismatic than Vin Diesel is. He is. I'm sorry. Like, Vin Diesel, I know that you started out this franchise. Guess what? It's The Rock. Like, I'm sorry. I mean this nicely. They didn't do the spinoff with your character because no one cares. I'm yeah. sorry. It's The Rock. Everyone, he is a genuine movie star. And he's, like... He can be in anything and people will pay money to see it. Like, I would watch a scene of him just eating a bowl of cereal yeah. by himself in an empty room. I watch videos of him on his cheat days on Instagram eating plates of sushi and cookies. Because he's a charismatic person and yeah. like, I am genuinely interested in what you genuinely are doing right interested. now versus Dominic Toretto. Oh, you know the thing about family is it's on the street. But shut up. Shut up. Like, go get a Corona. I've also been in eight of these movies, like, then, like, calm down. But I, I was gonna say that their petty, like, feuds it makes, like, the movie so much funnier because Hobbs and Shaw have the petty dudes, like, that's, they yeah. hate each other. That's, like, and the entire point. And it makes it point. even funnier. Like, I don't know. That's yeah. just, that's hilarious to it me. Is not, not that the, not that Vin Diesel's in it, but it almost feels like that's, like, a jab, which is hilarious. Yeah, kind of. Principal Photography began on September 10th, 2018 in London. Johnson joined the production two weeks later after he wrapped filming Jungle Cruise. That's how I knew he was done with that movie. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> so filming took place at Shepperton Studios and then in Glasgow, Eggboro Power Station in North Yorkshire. That was the okay. Ukrainian nuclear whatever. And then Kauai in Hawaii was used as a stand-in for Samoa for the film's third act. Which makes sense. Um, production officially wrapped on January 27th, 2019. Visual, visual effects were provided by Double Negative and Framestore. Um, Double Negative has done like a ton of work. I've never heard of them. Me either. Yeah. Um, but they did like they did stuff for Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame, and then, like, Crimes of Grindelwald, yeah. Aladdin, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Men in Black International, tons of stuff. And then Framestore's only credit is literally The Witcher. Oh. And that hasn't even come out yet. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, Tyler Bates composed the score. He did both Guardians of the Galaxy movies, all three John Wick movies, Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2. Action, comedy, you know, mm-hmm. typical. Um, and then the first trailer was released on February 1st, and then two days later it had a Super Bowl spot, which mm-hmm. is where we both saw it. <laughs> it was, and we were like, I am This so, movie is going to be great. I am so excited for this film. Uh, so it premiered at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood on July 13th, 2019, uh, theatrically released in the U.S. on August 2nd. It premiered a while ago. Yeah, um, like almost a month ago. The production budget was $200 million with a $160 million global marketing budget, which is low for a marketing budget when the production budget mm-hmm. is, it's usually about the same size. So they don't need to market it. It's, right. It is part of a franchise that, A, everyone in the U.S. will go see, mainly because you have The Rock. Everyone in England will see it because you have The Rock and Jason Statham and Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the world will see it because they love Fast and Furious movies. Correct. Like you, you really don't need to market it. But they will need to make at least $600 million to break even. They will. Oh, yeah. Um, so it opened no question. in 4,200 theaters in the U.S. It grossed $60 million opening weekend, beating out The Lion King for the top spot. Uh, it grossed $24.9 million internationally. And then as of yesterday, which was August 7th, when we saw it, um, it has grossed $79.1 million in the U.S. and Canada, $134 million internationally, internationally. Uh, for a grand total of $213.1 million worldwide. It has been out for one week. So it's doing doing okay. Doing pretty well. Critical response, it's at a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty solid. It's got 60 out of 100 on Metacritic and an A- on CinemaScore. 
IndieWire gave it a B-, calling it an old-school screwball comedy that just happens to feature two major action stars. <laughs> which is pretty, pretty accurate. Pretty yeah. accurate. On the other hand, the Chicago Sun-Times gave it 1.5 out of 4 stars, writing, quote, In case of bad movie emergency, break glass. Over the two-hour-plus running time of the painfully long, exceedingly tedious, consistently unimaginative, and quite dopey Hobbs and Shaw, I counted some 13 instances in which humans and or vehicles went crashing through panes of glass. <laughs> That was Roger Robert, everyone. Um, I mean, that's like a solid review, even though I'm like, you have no soul that you thought this movie was one and a half out of four. And the whole consistently unimaginative and quite dopey. Yeah, this was a dopey movie. Right. This was absolutely a dopey movie. But I that's loved the it. point of this movie. It was the point. This point was this movie was not trying to be serious. And again, no. back to the point of this versus like a Transformers movie is why these are so much better because they're they know what they are and they embrace it, and it works. It works great. All right, so what is this movie? I mean, <laughs> it is a ridiculous action movie. I think we said last night it was like eight tiny movies stacked on top of each other wearing a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about right. <laughs> I thought it ended. I thought it was about to end. Well, that and was, then that was there the was another part. act. We, we have to talk about that. So Lindsay's going to walk through the the plot briefly, but I just have to, like, explain something. So, the movie's doing what, like, a normal, like, generic action movie does. It's, like, introduces the main characters, the main bad guy, there's a, the thing that they have to go get and save, that's all happening, there's a whole chase scene that feels like the climax of the film. Which ends in a spectacular explosion. It does, and you're like, okay, and they're like, okay, well, we have to go, I'm you like, know. great, this is, this is the climax. We gotta this save the girl, climax. literally. Yeah. And then we go take a detour to Samoa, and... There's there another a act. whole other act, and it was so strange because if that big fight scene and chasing it ended in a way that left you hanging, or you were like, "Oh, I know this isn't over yet," but it, it felt like it was over. It, it was it, so strange. Like everything was already like tidally wrapped up. And yeah, it like, was very odd. It was. It was. It was weird. very odd. It was, a, it was a choice. I mean, not that I hated <laughs> that they then went to Samoa and had some of. The, that's why I started writing down lines from the movie. Um, some great. Oh quotes. my god, you guys. We will talk about the dialogue in yeah. this film because um, Lindsay, go ahead and give your overview. Yeah. So, in the briefest of overviews, which is still like a page and a half long. Sorry, just a page and a half. Briefest overviews. How how do we pronounce this organization? Sound like well, here's the thing. Idris Elba was doing his full like Cockney like is it South London like South like London accent? Yeah. I think like, like literally the neighborhood Brixton, which yes. was his name. name. I have questions, like. So I'm not quite sure. And then Jason Statham was not helping, and Vanessa Curry was also putting on a similar accent. Like, so the Etion, yeah, it's, it's, it's spelled it's not, E T E O N. So and it E-T-E-O-N? almost sounded like they E-T-E-O-N? were saying Eaton, like Eaton, yeah. like the school, but like adding an extra vowel. It's like Etion, like like really fast, like I think it was that. Etion, Etion, yeah. I'm gonna say Etion and probably f- it up very sure. soon. Sure. So, all right. In the briefest of overviews, all right. So. The terrorist organization, Edian, has created a virus called Snowflake, which can be programmed to kill millions of people by turning their insides into soup, I guess. A crew of MI6 agents, including Hattie Shaw, attempt to steal the virus, but are stopped by Brixton Lore, an Edian operative with advanced cybernetic implants that allow him to perform superhuman feats and drive a motorcycle that is actually a Transformer. Brixton kills the whole team except Hattie, who injects herself with the virus and escapes, while Brixton frames her as a traitor who killed her team and stole the virus. 
Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw, Hattie's brother, are both informed of the missing virus by the CIA and are assigned to work together to track it down, except twist, they hate each other, despite literally sharing a meal at the family table at the end of Fast and Furious 8. Like, yeah, what was that? Like, <laughs> I, like, like I literally was thinking that. I was like, but you guys were, like, hanging you guys were, like, out. partners in the last movie. Like, We've already in, done this. Like, in order to set up this movie and their, like, like, quippy hatred, there just needed to be, like, a quip, you know, at the end of, like, Fate of the Furious. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. something to remind you, like... Oh, they've got a spinoff coming, and they don't like each other, really, but, you know, they're putting on a good face for the family. Nope. Nope, didn't do that, so apparently they hate each other. <laughs> uh, Hobbs finds Hattie and takes her to the CIA black site, where they're confronted by Shaw, as Brixton shows up and takes Hattie after blowing up most of the office and then running down the side of a building. It was weird. And um, it was... Yeah, we'll talk about the bingo in a minute. Go ahead, Lindsay. <laughs> Shaw recognizes Brixton as a former colleague that he shot-slash-killed, and then Brixton was recovered and revived by Edian because apparently that's a thing that happens in this universe. We've got cyber zombies now. This is fine. Hobbs and Shaw rescue Hattie, and there's a car chase that ends with Brixton driving his Transformer motorcycle through a double-decker bus. Again, it's fine. The trio locate Professor Andrako, the creator of Snowflake and possessor of an incredibly bad Russian accent. So bad. Who tells them about an extraction MacGuffin in the Edian factory in Ukraine that could remove the virus from Hattie safely. Which was you know, either Chernobyl or wherever the, they go to in Justice League. That's basically the there were DC so universe version many of Chernobyl. So many smokestacks. Yeah. So they travel to Moscow to arm themselves, then infiltrate the factory in the Ukraine, where they manage to retrieve the extraction MacGuffin before escaping and destroying the facility, but Andrako is killed and the MacGuffin is badly damaged. So... Hobbs decides that the best course of action is to fly to his childhood home in, Sam- in Samoa, Samoa uh, where he hasn't been back in 25 years, because his older brother Jonah was the best dirt bike mechanic he knew as a teenager, and therefore is the only one who could fix the MacGuffin. The only one. It's not like they know a huge team of techies and mechanics that are used to operating outside the law. It's fine. Right. Um, or we're also, like, secrets back. Like, just, I can't. <laughs> anyway. So Hobbs has a tense family reunion. Jonah successfully repairs the MacGuffin, and everyone prepares for the Edian army to arrive with the most action movie montage to ever montage in an action movie. (laughs) The extraction begins as Brixton and his army of expendable stuntmen arrive. The battle commences, and Brixton captures Hattie again, which causes an absurdly hilarious helicopter-versus-NOS-powered car in the Rock's muscles game of of tug-of-war, culminating in the helicopter crashing. I mean, literally the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life. The most incredible thing I've ever seen. So the MacGuffin completes the extraction from Hattie, while Hobbs and Shaw finally question mark, because they've been working together all movie, but finally work together to defeat Brixton, who is terminated remotely by Edian's director. And then in a series of mid- and post-credit scenes, because we had those in this film, uh-huh, uh, Hobbs brings his daughter to meet their extended family in Samoa. Shaw and Hattie are implied to break their mother out of prison. And Hobbs receives a call from Agent Locke, who broke into a facility and discovered another virus worse than the Snowflake virus. Also, Agent Locke is Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so I think we just have to talk about that first. So, we're sitting here, and... The Rock is in a diner with his daughter, and all of a sudden, Ryan Reynolds just walks in, and our whole theater just starts screaming. And he is just, we were like, is he just Deadpool? Is he's he Detective Pikachu? He's literally just being Deadpool. He's literally just being with less Deadpool. swearing because it was PG-13. It was incredible. Like, it was amazing. And I was like, yes, this is great. He's their connection. He's their, what's their called? What's his name? Locke? Yeah. yeah. He's like a CIA operative um, dude. Right, which we thought... 
he was going to be revealed as, like, a double agent at the end. Like, because the, the guy who runs Etian, Edian, Ian. is, like, it's just... It's like, like a modulated voice. It's a modulated voice, but better yet, it's not just a modulated voice. It's a modulated voice with, like, the sound wave, like, picture things on all the walls and TV screens every time he speaks, just so you know it's a modulated voice. It's great. In case you didn't know, you could just see, like, the orange voice lines appear on all the screens. I would call that an action movie cliche. Would you call that an action movie cliche? I would. I feel like that brings us to our next segment. Whips out her card. Lindsay, in a, an epic feat, made us Hobbs and Shaw bingo cards for this film. I have to say that like writing anything down in a dark movie theater is much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I don't understand how critics take notes. I don't either. They must do, honestly, like, what I was doing on the back when I was writing down quotes and just, like, write and hope you can read it. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. They have better handwriting than I do, but, like, I yeah. mean... And, I, like, they have their own shorthand, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And, like, probably, like, an actual notepad, but I don't know how they can do it because this was really hard to even see, like, the bingo squares. Yeah. So, which, granted, we had to read and write, not just writing your notes, I guess, but still. So, anyway, Lindsay, would you like to talk about these bingo cards you made? Yeah, so... We talked about this a while ago. We were kind of joking where it's like, oh my god, like this movie's going to be ridiculous and super predictable. And so we kind of joked about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this because it's going to be really funny. I would like to say on the record that when I made these cards, I had not read a single review. I had seen one trailer. I had no idea what this movie was actually about. Incredible. And Truly incredible. We were two squares away from a total blackout. I got a bingo by the time that Hobbs and Shaw met on screen together, that gave me a bingo. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Patty got the first one, and it was within the first 12 minutes of the movie. And I got it shortly after her. I just couldn't find my square. Right. Like, I couldn't find the Shaw makes fun of Hobbs square after I found the Hobbs makes fun of Shaw square. Because those happened simultaneously. It's They did, and I was trying (laughs) to find the other one. Shaw makes fun of Hobbs gave me my first bingo. So, I mean, we were kind of joking about how predictable this movie was, but holy shit, this was a predictable movie. Like, in the best way, though. Like, yeah, yeah, if, if, if we had not gotten almost a blackout... I honestly would have been mad. Like, I think I would have had a less good time at the movie. Like, oh, I, I agree. Like, this is the kind of thing that I'm expecting, A, from, like, listen, when you watch, like, the old action movies from, like, the 80s and the 90s that you love, they're often not super deep. No, no. Oh, my like, God. They're kind of dumb. Have you seen Rambo First Blood? Right. Exactly. Sidebar, the Rambo Last Blood trailer was far more hilarious than I think it intended to be. Oh, yeah. Far more. Anyway. Anyway. But I think that, like, this is something fun about it is just, like, this is the kind of nonsense I want. Like, just embrace that. Don't make your movie so serious. Because guess what? If it's not good and it's serious, it's a bad movie. Whereas this is, like, dumb fun. So, yeah, like, this is not a good movie, but oh my god, it was so much fun. I would 10 for 10 watch this on an airplane. Yeah. Uh, if it's on TV. Like, 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. In a Fast and Furious series rewatch. All of it. But anyway, so I was very happy that we covered most of these, and I'm honestly kind of pissed that we didn't get a blackout. I am too. I'm pissed at the We were close, and we'll talk about those. We'll talk so I uh, listed them out al- alphabetically because why not? Uh, so the first one is Bomb with an LED counter. I mean, there was one in the first scene. Yeah. there. I think there were three in the total movie. Yeah. At least. At least, yeah. yeah. Uh, cameo from Fast and Furious character. Um, it wasn't who I was expecting. I thought we would actually have, like, have somebody from the family Me show too. Up. Um, but Helen Mirren was in Fast, or Fate of the Furious. Yes. She's, um, Jason Statham's mother. Queenie. Queenie, yes. What, what an appropriate name, by the way. Like, the Amazing. Amazing. 
car windshield shot out. That happened in the first five minutes. Oh, first, I, like, Hattie shoots it out actually from the inside, which was not what I was expecting. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. A chase scene. So there was one foot chase and three car chases. Mm-hmm. And then a chase scene. Car slash motorcycle chase. Yeah, and then a car scene, a chase scene involving five or more vehicles. There were two of these. But this actually took longer to get to than I expected. The first full car chase scene or vehicle chase scene was done with the motorcycles. Four vehicles. We were very upset. I was like, please add a fifth one. It was early in the movie, though. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so there were two of these. One of them included a helicopter. Um, Incredible. (laughs) Another one included a whole bunch of drones. Are those vehicles? Eh, No, because you can't ride them. True. But still, I mean, in this, in a Fast and the Furious movie, will someone ride one? Yes. Like, in the next one, will The Rock be, like, skiing on drones? They'll probably, like, drop Roman onto one as he's complaining. Incredible. It'd be great. A double agent reveal. So this is one of the ones we did not get. I'm not as mad about this one, but I was just... It would fit the whole, like, cheesy action movie, cheesy Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah, like, and they, there was set up for it. There was set up. But I, they just again, kept the reveal for Modulated the voice sequel. with modulated voice visual. Really thought it was going to be Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I have a, I have a theory. Okay. That, yeah. But yeah, so they saved the reveal for the sequel. Um, explosion. This was actually the free space. There, was there were so many. <laughs> there were so many. Flight to Foreign Country. There were three of these in the movie. Hobbs goes from L.A. to London. They all go from London to Moscow. Moscow. And then they go from the Ukraine to Samoa. But technically there's more than one flight to Samoa because they all go from Ukraine to Samoa. And then uh, Idris Elba goes from London That's a good point. Ukraine to Samoa too. So and then I just said more. there's even more if you count the mid-credits scene because like he brings his daughter to Samoa and yeah. they have to go back and whatever. There's so many. Hobbs is sweaty for no reason. 20% of this movie was filmed in Hawaii, so, yeah, there was sweat. Yeah, lots of sweat. Yeah, but the part where he was also sweaty in London. Yeah. Like, my dude. Yeah. Hobbs lifts or breaks some uh, breaks an item ten <laughs> times larger than himself. Dude bench-pressed a helicopter. He is on the back of a vehicle that is hooked up to, like, ten other vehicles, and he has chains wrapped around his forearms, and he literally says, which is a quote that's going to come up later, Let's go fishing, and then loops the chain around the, like, bottom part of the helicopter and is pulling it down with his arm. He was, like, Captain America, ain't it? Yes! Like, he was literally doing that. It was amazing. Hobbs makes fun of Shaw. I mean, literally every time they open their mouths. Yeah. Insane soundtrack choices. This is the first square we all checked off because the opening scene was set to Jim Croce's Time in a Bottle as performed by the UK DJ Youngblood. (laughs) Followed by several other insane soundtrack choices. Like, the soundtrack covered every genre across several decades. Also, the credits song featuring Idris Elba. Yeah, we all go, is that Idris Elba rapping? It was Idris Elba rapping. I'm, I'm incredible. Fine with it. I am definitely fine with it, guys. He has a very deep rap voice. It's very nice. V nice. Let's see. Uh, mad about working together. That's the whole plot of the movie. Yeah. Which again, I didn't. Don't even think I quite knew that going into it from the trailer. Yeah. Like that just happened. We thought that was gonna be maybe a side thing. It was the whole plot. Literally the whole plot. Yeah. Like, fine. A mustache twirling villain. Idris Elba's first line of dialogue in this movie, Hattie goes, who are you? And he goes, bad guy. (laughs) And immediately I think on my pen, I was like, mustache twirling villain. The best, honest to God. Bad guy. Best part 
of this movie is how straight he played that character. He really did. Like, he got it. He totally got it. He knew exactly what movie he was in. And he, oh my god, it was amazing. Let's see, physics and or gravity is ignored. I mean, every time somebody enters a vehicle. (laughs) Also, somebody got stabbed with a brick. Twice. (laughs) Twice. Um, I mean, every time someone enters a vehicle, I think Lindsay checked this off during, or like, earlier in the movie, and then I go, no, that's not that, and then when Idris Elba comes to take... I checked it off when Ryan Reynolds was like, he got stabbed with a brick, I was like, that's that's not possible. That's not possible. (laughs) Fair, but then when Hattie is at the CIA headquarters and Idris Elba comes in to, like, kidnap her... And they're, like, running down the side But he blasts out the windows with a bomb, comes in takes her, throws her over his shoulder, throws these cables also, that Gideon just... Also, henchmen have stormtrooper aim. Oh, yeah, they were, it was bad. They they were stormtroopers. They could not hit anything. Well, well actually, they could hit, like, other red shirts in the room. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't hit, like, Hobbs and Shaw. Um, so slightly better than stormtrooper, but, yeah. They throw these cables out the window that, like, curved on their own like they had a mind of their own down the side of the building and then begin to run horizontally down the side of the building and as it was happening I looked at Lindsay I go no this is physics and gravity are ignored (laughs) running down the side of the building like no gravity pulling them forward like no just completely horizontal also the visual of of Hobbs and Shaw like looking out over the edge down at them running and them just like bouncing (laughs) they were bouncing like they were just walking normally on ground and then Hobbs goes jumping down the cables. I'm like, you would have no skin left on the palms of your hands. It oh my god. Bone and he sinew. was sliding down these like metal cables. I'm like, what is going on? So that that occurred. That was great. Yes, the stabbing with the brick was also physics or gravity ignored, but no, this is physics <laughs> or gravity ignored. <laughs> Running uh, horizontally down the side of a skyscraper. You know. Yeah. Like you do. Um, predictable action quip. It was conservatively 90% of the dialogue. It was all of it. I mean, <laughs> literally there was, I can't think it of- It was exposition and action quips. And then the occasional, like, heartwarming family comment. Yeah. Yeah, that's about yeah. it. Uh, reference to working together in the past. There was an entire scene, to, like, devoted to that. Yep. Scantily clad women. I mean, there was not actually too many. There weren't that many, but, but every female character that was not Hattie was scantily clad. Except for Helen Mirren. Right. But, I mean, she looked fabulous in that prison suit, so. Yes. But, yes, like, in, and it happened early in the movie. Like, there was, like, people were, like, in, like, clubs and, like, oh, there's scantily clad, clad women. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, this movie fails the Bechdel test. No. There are three female characters that are named with dialogue. That is... Queenie, mm-hmm. who's barely in a scene. Um, she is in Hattie, Hattie. And then Madam M, mm-hmm. who is their contact in Moscow. And Madam M is introduced by making out with Shaw unprompted. It was honestly really funny, though, because I loved both The Rock and uh, Vanessa Kirby's reactions. Because the Rock Her was, face was the her best. Her face was just incredible. I mean, it was like, if you have siblings and you were watching your sibling make out with someone <laughs> who was like a fat, like, Lindsay, you have a brother. Like, this would be like if, like, a, the hottest supermodel you've ever seen started out of nowhere making out with your brother to say hi to them. And, like, that was her face. It was incredible. The emotion she was giving us was just incredible. Because it was played for, like... 
comedy instead of like oh he's so amazing he's sexy I like really enjoyed it yeah plus and if I, I was that's, like that's one of the diff- like if that had been Vin Diesel it would have been like it would have been like a triple so X where it's just this person he just has an orgy for some reason for some reason it would have been that whereas this was just hello and then she like makes out with him he also seems a little bit surprised by this yeah. and then The Rock and Vanessa Kirby are just like what is happening and it was great Yep. Slash, I kind of loved her, Madame M. She was, like, this fabulous, like, thief of everything and robbed everybody. And she, was... like, took out an entire mansion full of Russian mobsters to get them guns. Right, and then she was, like, like strutting I, around I, in, I like, a her... modern corset with, like, this kind of fancy... This, like, lacy bralette type thing, thing and, and I was like, a trench coat, and I was like, I need you to be in all of the movies. Yeah, and I was like, yes. Um, I was like, yes. Like, I was like, yes. Like, if I were, like, this awesome super-duper thief who goes and murders Russian mobsters, the line was great, too, because they go, oh, you're friends with the Russian mob? And he goes, no, she kills. Like, she, she robs, robs the, the Russian, Russian mob. mob. And I was like, she's so badass. Yeah, I would totally wear that, Well, too. then they, like, walk into the mansion, and there's, like, guys, like, strung up, covered in duct tape everywhere. And he's like, I don't remember ordering duct tape and Russians. Yeah. And she's like, well, next time I need more notice. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, it's just great. It was great. Yeah, I was like, yeah, put her in everything. She was great. Um, The only thing... It was, like, that little scene where she was, like, handing them weapons and stuff. Like, she clearly, the actress, was clearly not, A, comfortable, or, B, like, physically strong enough to hold the props. Yeah, she, she could not hold the props, like, because she like, was, she, like, like... It was, like, me, like, trying to, like, hold... And she was just, like, shaking. one arm. like, I didn't notice that. I was, like, mm, they should have made some, like, foam fake ones, or, like, maybe they brought her on set, and we're, like, yeah, you just hold this, and she was, like, this is heavy. Yeah. Like, I was, thought I was going to look cute. Like, it makes sense that they have props with weight, given how big, like, the right. rock is. Right. Like, if he had a foam gun, he'd just, like, <laughs> Right. But, like, for this scene, I feel right. like they should have had some backups, because it it definitely showed. I didn't notice yeah. that. Yeah. But, yeah, I loved her. But, anyway, of course this does not pass the Bechdel test. In what no. world? Oh, my God. No. I think Madame M said hardly any words. No. She had, like, maybe ten lines of dialogue. Oh, the mom! I'm sorry, but The Rock's mom is also, or Hobbs' oh, mom yeah, is Hobbs mom character. Character. Right, you're right, right. She's the only woman in Samoa. And his daughter. His daughter, yeah. Yes. I was thinking, yeah, I was kind of counting her. Yeah. So back to Bingo. Okay. Shadowy agency. Edian is so shadowy that we don't see 98% of its employees' faces. Right. Um, also, they control the news? <laughs> that was not explained. It, like, kind of reminded me of that James Bond movie where the, uh... The one with Jonathan Price. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, what's his face? The, what's his... The, the, the High Sparrow is, controls the news. It, like, reminded me of that a little bit, like, also... Oh, the bit. one where Terry Hatcher is a Bond girl? Yeah, that one. Oh, was so is Michelle Yao. Yeah, that's right. But she's fabulous in it. Yes. But she's also a spy. It seemed like a weird dig at, like, fake news. Yeah. But, like, they had, like, written something scathing in the script, and the universe was like, no, water that down. Yeah, it kind of felt like that. Because, like, just, it was very, like, yeah. Because, like, he frames Hattie in the beginning right. for, like, taking our team, like, betraying them and stealing the virus. But then, like, after they have their first chase scene, all of a sudden, like, Hobbs and Shaw are all over the media being like, oh, they're wanted, and they're, like, carousel, and it's like, what? And this, like, doesn't really, it's, like, mentioned one more time, like, where it does not slow them down in the least. I mean, not at all. It's like, they wear disguises, oh, this is the best part, they wear disguises to the airport, because they're like, oh, well, our faces are everywhere, our names are everywhere, what are we going to do? Oh, we have these amazingly hilarious disguises. I loved them. But then once they get through customs on the way out of London, then they take them off on the airplane. And yeah, I'm like, so, like, Hattie, Hattie's got this amazing, like, brunette pixie wig that makes her look like Kate Blanchett. It's amazing. 
She's she amazing. Um, but then, like, then it, the, like, she gets through security, and the next time you see her, she's on the plane, and she has the wig off. It's like, what? 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 Why? Right, but also, like, Jason Statham's, like, his his disguise, his name was Hans Gruber. <laughs> he was basically, Architect like, and part-time ski instructor. I was like, this is incredible stuff. And then The Rock's name was Oxmall, comma, Michael. Right. But on the ticket, it said Mike, so when you say it out loud, it's Mike Oxmall. Incredible. Because, of course, Shaw made all their disguises. Yes. So obvious. So then he, and then he also had to have, like, an extra search, which also did not stop him at all. He gets in the plane and is, like, swag central, and all the flight tents are like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Speaking of the plane, gotta, I gotta pause the bingo card here to talk about the plane. So they're, like, talking. I would hate to be an extra in this scene because everyone has to just, or Vanessa Kirby, everyone has to pretend to be asleep while these two are having this hilarious conversation, and then they're, like, talking about going at each other and, like, you know, basically the take you outside, but they're on an airplane conversation, and all of a sudden this guy jumps up. From the seat in front of front the rock. And they're like, oh, God damn it! you woke up the air marshal, which, hilarious comment anyway. But then, the person is none other than Kevin Hart. <laughs> in... Incredible. And Amazing. then he talks for an uninterrupted four and a half minutes. I mean, this air, again, I would hate nothing. to be an extra or Vanessa Kirby in this scene because you have to pretend to be asleep while they're talking for it, it, this conversation before Kevin Hart started. The total conversation on this plane is like six minutes long. Yeah. It's a very long At scene. one point, I leaned over to Marie and went, Am I dead? <laughs> did, did I have a stroke? And I'm just dead now. This is still happening. You were dead. This is real? Great. Anyway, back to bingo. So the next so, one is the other one that we did not check off, which was Shaw headbutt someone. Okay. He never did, but Hobbs did twice. I know, but I'm honestly so pissed about this. So the, the double Asian one, whatever. The headbutts one? Are you kidding me? Jason Shaw Statham has headbutted somebody in every single movie he has ever been in. Every it's his thing. single movie, and then you gave Hobbs two of them, and you gave Shaw none? Are you are you really serious? Every time there was a fight, I was, like, on the edge of my seat. It kind of made it fun. Waiting. Waiting for it to happen. It didn't, didn't happen. happen. Literally, in one of the mid-credit scenes, he's sitting at a bar, and I was like, if he headbutts the countertop, or, like, the beer pouring, like, the tap, I will count that. Yep. Nope. He did none of those things, and I am very mad about it. Like, that, honestly, what makes this movie, like, takes it down a star for me. Agreed. I'm really mad. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Shaw makes fun of Hobbs. Yeah. That, again, it was just back and forth forever. Shirtless Rock. The first time we see him on the camera, he does not have a shirt on. It was great. Followed by many another time, such as the time that he goes down to face down Idris Elba in full Samoan gear, like, sarong and shirtless. Incredible. I have. I will never complain. I think Patty was like, "Why?" And I was like, "Why not, Patty?" I mean, yeah. Look That's really the question you the have to ask in this movie: is not why, but why not? Why not? Why was he not shirtless the whole time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sudden sexual tension. So Hobbs and Hattie's little thing was the most unromantic subplot since Natasha and Bruce in Age of Ultron. Honestly, I felt they had like good chemistry during it, but then like when like they actually kissed, it was so awkward and weird. And I didn't know if they were trying to be funny. Yeah. But it didn't it didn't work for yeah. me. Because they had like good like banter that I liked and like the whole oh like heading on my sister thing was funny, but then it just did not it did not play out. Yeah. No. It was weird. Yeah. It would have been better if they had like set it up as like sort of like Gamora and Peter in the first Guardians yes. movie. Where it's like, okay, like this is a this could have a future. 
and there's like a mutual respect and yeah. like they're on the same page but like we as the audience don't necessarily need right. a definitive answer it would have been better if they had left it done it that way or let it be so hilariously awkward that like you're dying laughing but like the rock and karen gillen and jumanji yes like that's amazing like just do something you have to do in between because or not in between because the in between was just too much um also Lindsay listed some examples here about how (laughs) this is she said this is the most unearned romantic subplot since natasha and bruce in age of ultron which again top of my list for that one she said oratorial and killy in the hobbit also true or uhura and scotty in star trek 5 i mean yeah, that one is really bad. These it's are really all bad. really bad. These are all really bad. So, and then you said or with a dash because we know there are more. I cut myself off because there's so many more. There are so many, but... <sighs> all right. Uh, Cinemason's voice, they survived this. All Fast and the Furious characters are part superhero, part Greek god. We learned from this film. Like, they're indestructible. I mean, I started I started putting tally marks on my They Survived This Square, <laughs> and then I stopped and wrote times 10, and then in the corner I wrote times 50, and then the top I wrote times 2,000. <laughs> I think the most egregious example of this is in the chase scene at the power plant when he drives through like a window or whatever and like down a couple stories yes. and Vanessa Kirby gets like launched she, out the front of the her car. Her whole body is dangling so it's like a jeep out the window. Her legs are going all over the place and I'm like what is happening? Also she shout died. out to that stunt woman because they clearly shot that practically. Yeah. And then finally the last bingo square was vehicle driven against design. Um, at one point Shaw drives like this factory buggy jeep thing up the side of a power plant. Also, there is a motorcycle that is literally a transformer. So Lindsay wrote that, marked that one down first, and I was like, yeah, but I guess it was designed to be that way, so I'm going to let it go, even though it's ridiculous and no motorcycle would do this. But then when he drove the vehicle up the side of the power plant, I was like, nope, there it is. He was operating that vehicle like a middle schooler was playing Tony Hawk's video game. I mean, Like, what? He also could operate his motorcycle with his robot brain. It was pretty cool. (laughs) Alright, so on to some dialogue. I, I, would, I would like to preface this section with the reminder not only did someone write this, they were paid to write this. And then movie stars like Jason Statham, The Rock, and Emmy Award nominee Vanessa Kirby said these words. Not to mention Idris Elba, who had arguably the best line. I'm gonna let you say it, it's the first one on our list. Genocide, schmedicide. <laughs> in response to <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, in this a... was said in a film. Yeah, because he's like doing his bad guy monologuing thing, which is another reason it felt like the end of the movie. Yeah, it did. And he's he basically Again, he wants the Chernobyl esque power plant, right? Thing. And so his his whole bad guy villain goal is he wants to wipe out a significant chunk of the population because they're too weak and humanity needs to evolve. Like him because he's a He's cyborg. a cybernetic zombie. Whatever. Cool. Fine. Whatever. Standard bad guy villain. Whatever. But so he's saying this and one of the heroes, I forget which, is like, well, that's genocide. He's like, genocide, schmenocide. We need to evolve. Someone wrote that! And Idris Elba said, yeah, I'll say that. Followed by, I don't think it was in the same sentence, but it was around the same time. It when was, he was during the same scene. Same scene, same monologue about his powers and how he has evolved in the next, you know, evolution of man, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm Black Superman. To which I said, yes, yes you are. But then later, during the chase scene, he jumped through a wall or something and the rock is like he really is black, black superman, superman. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right um another good line was um when the rock and jason statham are finally working together in ish. samoa and they have this plan of yeah ish and they're driving this like jeep and they're going after the helicopter that idris elba is in because he got hattie and they go let's go fishing they take some chains and start twirling them around so they can loop them around the legs of the helicopter so they can pull it down barehanded, Captain America style. Yeah, well, because so first they hook the helicopter and they're driving and like kind of dragging the helicopter with the car. But then the helicopter's like, wait, physics, we can fly up. So they do. And so then Jonah, Hobbs' brother, comes with his car and they attach to the front of Hobbs and Shaw's car and start pulling it down, but then that's too much. So then another brother comes and hooks up, and then another brother comes and hooks up, and then another brother comes. And there was like six cars hooked together. It's like eight or nine cars, and they all also hook on very easily. And they're all these cars are in the air with the exception of the car in the front, because that's how physics works. Attached to the back car, which is attached to the helicopter by a chain that the rock is holding. And it, like, at one point goes around a curve, and the whole thing, like, slides off the curve. They, like, get the dragged curve. around a cliff. It reminds me of, like, those connects. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess physics works out. I don't know. It's banana pants. So then, that was the Let's Go Fishing. The context of this, I don't even 100% remember. They were remember. on the plane, and he was like, you need to leave my sister alone. Oh, that's right. And he said something about horizontal hula sexy sexy time. That was a line in this movie. It was. I wrote it down. I also started a family counter. I got to 15, but the, I started that after they'd said it, like, at least 10 times. So, which is actually kind of low for a Fast and the Furious movie, but I had my tallies going on family. Dom wasn't in this movie. He was not, which, that's that's his thing. Um, some other just fun ones. Um, there was a period when they were planning, like, their final, you know, battle on Samoa. They just kept saying, like cheesy cliche lines all together in one sentence so for example we'll build a no man's land it'll be our last stand those went together (laughs) um we'll fight under the cover of night with the sun at our backs that doesn't make sense (laughs) i was like what it doesn't make sense except it did because then when the battle started it was the middle of the night and all of a sudden it was morning in two seconds so actually it does make sense apparently the rock is god and can control The sun. And the weather, because then there was a thunderstorm. On one part of the island, not the whole thing. That you can reach by car souls and far away. Um, Also, the island... Oh, the island will prevail, brother. The island will prevail. What was the Samoan word for brother? Uzo, which literally was said so many times I should have started a counter for that, too. There at one point... I love you, Uzo. I love love you too, man, Uzo. 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 Uzo, I need you to get this. Uzo, Uzo, Uzo. Hook onto the car. Uzo. 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 Be nice to your Uzo. Uzo. The, the mom was great. Another good one, too, is when The Rock referred to himself. Was it himself? I think he... No. Someone referred to him as a big, brown, tattooed mountain man. I think that was when they were talking about Hattie still, like, when they're on the plane. I think it was. And he, No, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, like, a lead-up to the hula line, where he was like, look at you. You're, like, a big, brown mountain. And he's like, well, maybe your sister wants to go mountain climbing. That's what it was. <laughs> 
Oh, another good one also was when The Rock was talking about being strong and flexing your muscles. And then he pointed at his brain and said he was flexing his biggest muscle. Well, because Hattie bra- was like, well, that's your biggest muscle. Like, what are you wasting your time for? And he's like, I am flexing that. End this. And then flexed his arm. Also, the brain is not a muscle. It's it is an not. organ. Guys, Google search. The heart is a muscle. Brain is not. Dun, 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 dun. The biggest muscle in the body is the gluteus maximus. Just saying. So... His ass. Yes, the dialogue was special. It was it was incredible. I this is not even remotely all of it. This is just like the stuff that stood out to us. Amazing. It's really like, amazing. The amount of like quippy little action lines where it's like, oh yeah, bro. Again, this, this movie just is, desensitized because this, they were every other line. They were, but again, this movie is knows what it is and it's leaning into it a thousand percent and it makes it that much better. Like you get one oh, quippy yeah. action line, and you're like, oh my god, give me more. And then you also get lines like genocide, schmenocide. Just a whole <laughs> different level. And you go, oh. Our whole theater kind of went, oh, and then start laughing. Like, this occurred. Was that one of the many times I was just like, what? Loudly? We were in, in loud, a theater. Loudly, very loud. A group of women walked in and they took up an entire row. It was fabulous. This was also the smallest movie theater I have ever been in. But it was also in Dolby Atmos. <laughs> it was like... Four rows of seats. I've been, I was in that one for Booksmart, or one that size, but that's different. It was an indie film. Very interesting choice for Fast and Furious, Arclight. Alright, so we already sort of started talking about these. There were quite a few cameos in this film. Yeah, we already mentioned Ryan Reynolds. He was and Agent Locke. Um, Kevin Hart was Air Marshal Dinkley, who appeared twice in the film, because, of course, he mentioned if you need anything, like a flight, a charter, whatever, and he went, this went on for way too long, he... I was like, oh, he's definitely going to come again, which he did, and then he showed up and got them to Samoa. Yeah. Um, so Ryan Reynolds was Agent Locke. Rob Delaney was Agent Loeb. Love him so much. He's, um, you may both, know him from Catastrophe. Yeah, an and excellent then show. Ryan Reynolds and Rob Delaney both worked with the director in Deadpool 2. Right. And then Isa Gonzalez was yep. Madame M. She was in Baby Driver. She's a Mexican actress and pop star. She's great. Again, she was fabulous. Yeah. So now my favorite section... It's called Questions I Have. So many questions. First and foremost, though, because the entire movie I was waiting for him to show up, where was Owen Shaw? Me too. Like, could they not pay for Luke, what's-his-face? Luke show Evans, up? yeah. Thank you, to show up. Like, what? Why was he not in this? So again, Owen Shaw is Deckard Shaw's younger brother. This movie was about family, and they got they paid for Helen freaking Mirren, but Luke Evans couldn't be bothered? Like, what's yeah. going on? Like, you know, yeah, this, it, that's exactly it. Like, this is I'm a movie. I'm not saying he couldn't be bothered. Maybe he had scheduling conflicts. I do, that is just me totally making that up. Yeah. But, like, how could they not get Luke Evans? Right, like, this is a movie all about family, in which it is revealed unceremoniously that Shaw has a younger sister that has never once been mentioned before. Right, this is just, surprise, their siblings. But, like, how nice would that mid-credits scene have been with with Helen Mirren, where they come to visit her together in prison, if Luke Evans had also been there? Right, like, I don't need him to be, here's the thing, I don't even need Luke Evans to be in the movie, although that would have been great, and a perfect cameo, and easy to film. I just, like... Even in, like, the flashbacks of them as kids, why wasn't there a third... So, so, I know you'll talk about it in a second, but, I, like, why wasn't there another brother there? I don't right. Understand. So, IMDb does have a child actor listed as young Owen in the credits, so he was apparently in at least one of the flashbacks. Okay, but, like... But that, he was still never directly mentioned, and he wasn't obvious enough to be like, oh, that's I Owen. mean, that also just proves that, like, when they were doing the dialogue that 
goes over the flashbacks that these actors had no idea slash people writing the script had no idea those flashbacks were going to happen because they would have had dialogue about like oh there was Hattie and me and Owen used to blow up shit instead of just me and Hattie used right. to blow up shit the amount of ADR in this movie by the way there was one scene that was so bad that Lindsay and I looked at each other and both go oh I yelled oh that was a bad edit and you go oh that was bad ADR it was a bad both I mean the rock and... It was the rock from, like, behind, sort of, but his head was in, like, profile. Right. And he was yelling, but his mouth was not moving. I mean, it was so bad, and it was, like, there was a cut of his mouth to the cut of the back of his head, and we both go, oh, no. And, and like, he was, was, he was in profile enough where you could see his entire jaw. It was not also, moving I mean, at all. it could be the back of his head. The dude's bald, and he has an expressive face. You'd be able to tell if he was talking. Like, right. it was really bad. It was bad. We were laughing. It was, like, that was really bad. Wow. Yeah. So with Owen then, um, so Shaw had a line near the end of the movie, uh, something about, like, made me kill my own brother, mm-hmm. which is super ambiguous. But my interpretation of that was he was talking about Brixton, because Brixton and no, Shaw referred to each other as brothers, yeah. and then Shaw shot and believed he killed Brixton prior to the event. There was also just a lot of mention of brothers and who's those. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, my interpretation of that was he was talking about Brixton. No, I, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Never mind. Because at first I go, oh, what? And I was like, this is the mention of Owen, but Lindsay was right. It was That was talking about Idrisella. Why were Hobbs and Shaw both looking for a virus prior to being informed about the snowflake virus? Yeah, I didn't understand that. Because they were both shown in these montages... In the very beginning of the movie. Doing, like, you know, they're both separate, like, spy, law enforcement type work and how their lives are different, but also very similar. It was a fun fun montage. It was funny. But so they both get phone calls from unidentified callers for, like, missions. And they're both about finding this virus. Right, so, like, Hobbs is, like, smashing up this tattoo parlor and he's looking for, he says, killer virus. Mm -hmm. And then Shaw is beating people up with a champagne bottle and is asking What what did the quote say? I'm what you might call... A champagne problem. And then proceeds to beat the absolute shit out of, like, six different people with one bottle of champagne. With no headbutting. I have to, I have an idea. What if both of their, like, organizations were setting them to go look after a killer virus because, remember, Hattie ran away with it. Okay, yes, but... Okay, so after the tattoo parlor scene, like, literally the next scene is when Hobbs is in the diner with his daughter... And Locke comes and interrupts them, and he gives him the case file on Hattie, which he says happened last night, which is when he was smashing up the tattoo parlor. Mm. And then the same thing uh, with Loeb when he intercepts Shaw after visiting Queenie in prison. He tells Shaw about Edian. Okay, but... So, but who is sending them on these missions? Okay, but remember, the rock apparently controls the sun and time. <laughs> so maybe that doesn't make sense. I don't know. It also doesn't make sense that they would have, like, parallel, you know, split Like, they're both happening to look at the same Well, and also that they're both doing it at night, but one is in London and one's in L.A. That's my next thing, is how the f*** does time operate in this movie? Time zones don't exist in this world. Oh, they they do not exist. Like, Hobbs and Shaw are shown going through their daily routines simultaneously. They both wake up at the same time, and one of them is in California, and the other one is in London. That's an eight-hour difference. It's nine. Well, it depends on the time of year. Yeah. Regardless, it's consistently daytime in every single location they travel to, unless the script specifically calls for nighttime, suddenly, and briefly. So brief. The end battle starts when Hattie has 30 minutes left on the MacGuffin. It's pitch black, middle of the night, battle starts. They start fighting, and about 12 cuts into the scene, it is bright mid-morning. It is 11 a.m. Nine minutes have elapsed on the MacGuffin. 
Because it shows her after it's bright sunlight and it says 21 minutes are left on the counter. I'm sorry. I know this movie is dumb fun. I cannot forgive that. No, that is just... Well, here's the thing. Again, The Rock is so powerful. He can pull down helicopters and also apparently control the sun. Like, this is, like, this is, like, what I have decided is that, like, well, obviously The Rock just controls time. I, I guess. I don't... I, I literally have no other explanation other than he is magical. That's the end. Yeah. There, there is there no other explanation. Okay, so how the f*** does aging operate in this movie? I can't give The Rock the, this superpower. I can give him the time. That, I will say, is him. Whether it has to do with the virus and, like, when it happened and all of that, fine. The Rock is a superhero that controlled the sun. I have nothing to say about the age. Nothing. Okay. It so makes no sense. First thing first, Dwayne Johnson is 47. Vanessa Kirby is 31. As romantic interests go, it's not t- as terrible as other action movies, but it's still not awesome. That's not what bothers me about the ages in this movie, though. So Vanessa Kirby is 31. Jason Statham is 52. The child actress who played young Hattie is 10 years old. Now, the child actor who played young Decker does not have an age listed anywhere on the internet, but was probably between, like, 12 and 15. Right. If we're being generous, let's say 15. Right. That's five so, years. So, this movie posits that two siblings who had a five-year age gap as children have a 20-year age gap as adults. How? Like, when they had the flashback happening, I was like, wait, is that supposed to be young him? I knew it was supposed to be young her, but I was like, wait, what? Because, like, I I was cool with them being, like, a big age difference. I'm like, yeah, Helen Mirren, you like, get it. Yeah, literally think of them, like, yes, Helen Mirren, and get then, it. And, like, I assume Owen is the middle child. Yes, because... That like, makes sense, again. Right. So, like, cool, yeah, whatever. But then they did the flashbacks, and I'm like, oh, no, they, like, grew up simultaneously. Like, they were children together. That was such a weird choice. I'm like, and here's the thing, I'm like, are they trying to tell us that Jason Statham is, how old is Vanessa Kirby? 34? 31. She's 31. Are they trying to tell us that Jason Statham is in his 30s? Because that sounds like what the, that's what they're trying to tell us. I'm like, honey, no. If you were trying to tell me that Idris Elba was that age, yeah, black don't crack. <laughs> Fine, I believe it. Jason Statham is solidly in his 50s. Yes. He is a 50-year-old man. Yes. 52, to be exact. And you know what? Does he look great for his age? He does. Absolutely. Rocks He's a in suit. excellent shape. Yeah. Rocks a suit. Really rocks, rocks a suit a in this movie. For reasons. For reasons, yeah. You know. I mean, he, I like, his wardrobe in this film, I was very into it. I want to talk about the fact that Vanessa Kirby wore a cashmere turtleneck for the first 20 minutes she was in Samoa. You know what? She did take it off, though. She <laughs> realized her the error of her ways. Maybe that's why she didn't have a bra on. Yeah, the, she had the turtleneck on, and she was like, I gotta keep it on, I have a bra on. Yeah, I the, brought my winged very, eyeliner with me to Samoa, but The very last scene of the movie, like, she's in this tank top, and she's hugging both of the guys. I'm like, oh, she just very obviously is not wearing a bra. Lindsay goes, why isn't she wearing a bra? Maybe it's because she had that turtleneck on, that's all she brought with her, and her, and wing, her, and her winged liquid eyeliner, eyeliner. Which was flawless. Her eye makeup was, like, flawless at all it times. It was, like, fabulous spy makeup at all times, and I was very much into it. She also, we sort of started to have this conversation mid-movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> her hair is this wonderful, like, lob-cut, sort of scrunched, curly, peroxide blonde with dark roots. That's, like... It's the new sci-fi bob. It really is. It was Charlize's hair in Atomic Blonde. Yeah. It, it you, It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It is the new blunt black sci-fi bob. It looks similar to... I'm cool uh, with it. Davis's hair in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yes. Well, hers weren't as much of the dark roots, but the similar styling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into it. I'm, I'm into, into it. it. It's a good, like, look. 
but and she really rocks it. Like if we can call that like the Kirby, I would do it. Yeah. Even though people have had it before, I would give it to her. Yeah, and I'm sure there is like a name for that style, but it. I'm the glad. Kirby. You heard yeah, it yes. here first. I'm glad that they're just finally doing something different because the the sci-fi Bob was probably a solid 15 years of film, and I just don't understand why. Like it's not flattering on anyone's face. No, and it's a weird choice once it's, like, happened a couple times because it, certain characters become, like, very strongly identified with it. It's a really weird choice. Right, it's Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. Yes. It's the Kate Blanchett in Indiana Jones. It's the Evangeline Lilly in the first Ant-Man. I mean, hers is a whole thing. That is what I would look like with that bob wig on because there's a lump in the back where her bun is. Moy mall. It's the, it's the uh, Admiral Price in Star Wars Rebels. She's got it too. <laughs> Literally, they gave it to an animated character. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. Yeah. What happened eight years ago between Shaw and Brixton? Okay, I don't, like, I was, I'm like, listen, I rewatched all of these movies two years ago. I had no idea what they were talking about at all. Because, like, okay, so I know that Shaw was, like, a disgraced former MI6 operative. And, like, this, the official story in Fast and Furious when he was, like, the villain was, like, oh, he betrayed his team, and... Right, and yeah, that yeah, came yeah. back up in this movie again that his sister was, like, oh, I can't believe I believed that lie, that, like, you betrayed your team, and it's, like, okay, fair, whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, so it comes out, so Sean Brixton worked together at MI6, and for some reason, Shaw shot Brixton, believed he killed him, because he even said two to the chest, one to the head, just well, like a Well, okay, so in the movie, in this movie, he said a couple of times that, like, Brixton had, like, gone over to Edian, and apparently Edian is known for being bad, and he was trying to m- convince him to join him. Right. So, like, I guess they explained it. They, I think they were just trying to give a lot of, like, I think it's hard to give, like, backstory in a situation like this when we already are familiar with some of the characters, which on one hand is like the advantage of a spin-off movie like this where we love the characters and know them and know the actors. You don't need to give backstory, you don't need to give introductions. Your your side-by-side montage of their daily we're, routine. We're is, all we're already in. We're already in. We came to the movie. We're, we're already here. in. We, and the side-by-side montage that lasted two minutes of their daily routines was all we needed. Yeah. But then when you're trying to add backstory with different characters, like into that fits into the plot of the movie. It, it is complicated because, like, well, we already know you. Like, who's this person? What's this history? And you're trying to be vague about it, and it doesn't make sense because we're overthinking it. I think it's, it doesn't, it's hard. They tried to kind of give it that glossy brief, and you shot me because you're trying to recruit me to the bad people, and I'm like, why, though? <laughs> right. And so then, so he shoots him, and he becomes the cyber zombie, and then frames Shaw for betraying his team and got him disgraced from my six. Yeah. Right, like, what is the end game of, like, framing him? Because as a cyber zombie, he seems to be controlled by the, like, modulated voice. Yeah. So I don't, like... And, like, the the director tells him in his modulated voice, like, you need to turn them both. We want them both to be part of the Yeah, which I thought was actually super interesting. Yeah. That that was, like, in this movie that they weren't just, oh, we're bad guys and we're gonna kill you so we can, like implement our new evolutionary techniques on the world. No, let's recruit them. They could be assets. Right. They are the type of person we want to evolve with our cyber technology. Like, I actually thought that was an interesting addition to the plot. Yeah. um, Of which there was not a lot of plot, but I, like, did like that. But I can't figure out why he framed him at the beginning. Was it to, like... Like, I don't get it. Was it to, like, draw him? Was it just straight-up revenge for shooting him in the head? But, like, 
they create a cyber zombie and let him take revenge, but then control him to the point where they, like, execute him at the end. I'm very confused by, like, his, like, his free will in, I don't know. Yeah. I've... It's, I, it's very, it's very muddy. Well, the good news is if the other Fast and Furious movies are anything to go by, he'll be back. So I'm sure we'll learn more. You can't have Idris Elba be in the spinoff and not put him in the movies. Like, are you kidding? Especially because, as you said, Lindsay, he knew what movie he was in. He knew what role he was playing. And he, he was great. He rocked it. It was great. Amazing. I also just think he's never not been great in something. Like, he's an ex- He's an excellent Dark actor. Tower. Was he bad in it? It was a bad no, movie. No, it was just a bad movie. Everyone was bad because it was a bad movie. I don't think so. I didn't see it. I'm just assuming that he was probably still good. Even though I'm sure bad. he was still good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why was Brixton the only cyber-enhanced soldier? Like, he was a formidable foe, but the rest of the Edian team was basically just, like, regular dudes. And Brixton even says at one point, like, this is how you earn your upgrades. Why did, why did the upgrades need to be earned? Why didn't they just create an army of unstoppable Cybermen. First of all, we don't know that there are not Cybermen. I am sure there are a bazillion more that will show up in another film. Right, but like, why keep those people on ice and have regular dudes running around? They're piloting the program. He's like the test pilot. He's the, he's beta. Still okay, like... <laughs> so the whole argument of like, you have to be like, evolved, and like, you're, it's only like, the weak people, we get rid of them because they're not like, it doesn't, they're not worthy. If I'm thinking about it from a sci-fi perspective, maybe it doesn't work. I'm thinking way too much into this, you guys. But, like, maybe this, like, cyber enhancement, cyber soldier technology does not work if you're not, like, basically Idris Elba, The Rock, or Jason Statham. Sucks for you, Vin Diesel. Like, the peak of physical perfection. Yeah, like, so maybe that's, like, it's, like, peak of physical perfection and, like, something else with, like, you're also a spy, so you're super smart and, like, Got you have like everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like maybe they it's kinda like not like a symbiotic venom, but it doesn't like work. You know what I mean? Maybe. Maybe. I'm probably reading way too much into this and giving this movie way too much credit. The short answer is because Idris Elba is the villain. The long and they're gonna bring this up again. The long answer is me reading way too much into this. So I don't know, it's a good question. I did though. So one of his like cyber enhancement things was like his eyes would start glowing during fights. And then, like, you'd see his POV, and it was, like, a display where he could, like, calculate the force of which somebody was going to punch him. And, like, because, it, like, he could, like, basically calculate all of his opponent's, like, moves in advance, and so he could dodge them and beat them yeah. more effectively. And so, during the final fight, Hobbs and Shaw realize, like, okay, like, if we work together and, like, let him target one of us, the other one can hit him from behind. Which ties back to, again, something, it was sort of like Chekhov's gun they had talked about earlier, which was, they brought up actually several times, which is the Mick Jagger move, which is like the one person is like the distraction. Yeah, one person's like showboating, the other person does all the work. Right. Um, And it came up multiple times, and it was, it was honestly hilarious. Yeah. It was great. It worked really well. But so they're, they figure this out, and they're like expositing it to each other while they're fighting in slow motion, and it's really funny. And so like, okay, like, if he hits me, then he won't see you coming, and then he can't calculate a defense for you hitting him. And I said, much louder than I intended to. <laughs> or you could gouge his eyes out. <laughs> that seemed like a very straightforward solution to the issue, and I'm concerned that they didn't think of it. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> well, first of all, Lindsay, they are men fighting, so they must use their fists. That's true. 
Gouging eyes is a thing that women use in self-defense. That's a Men do not do that. That's a woman's sport. That is a woman's move similar to poison. A woman will gouge your eyes out. A man, a real man, he uses his fists. I mean, literally, that's my explanation for that. Is No, that's a good point. I that's that's that the end. Is men must use their fists. The end. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about this. Who was the mystery director? The, the disembodied voice... The, the modulated, modulated waveform voice. Waveform, wave again, there were, Peter Silva would walk into this room and the voice waves would be all around him on the walls. And I was like, what is happening right now? Who built this room? It's fine. Um, Why is this room here? Why does he have to go in that room to talk to them? So the only clue we have about the identity is that he has a history of Hobbes. Right. Because at the end, he after he decommissions... Brixton, he comes on, like, the speaker of the crashed helicopter and says to Hobbs, oh, you don't remember me, do you? It's like, okay, so there's history there. Fun fact, this role was originally cast, but the actor dropped out due to scheduling conflicts, so they clearly just rewrote Who the script. Who was cast? Keanu Reeves. Oh. <laughs> Keanu Reeves has had... <laughs> Such a great last few months. The scheduling conflict was John Wick 3. He has had <laughs> an excellent last few months. He has had John Wick 3. He was in that video game. I don't do video games, but he was in that. Surprise. He was in Always My Baby. Sorry, spoiler. Huge spoiler. It was the greatest surprise of all time watching the movie, and Keanu showed up. I mean, really, this would have been like the cherry on top. I'm honestly really upset about this. I am so upset. So, wow, that makes me so happy. They almost had Keanu in this movie. I know. And so they obviously rewrote the script and left it open-ended because maybe he'll be able to come back for the sequel that they're obviously getting. Oh, um, yes. But because they left it open-ended. Keanu Reeves in a Fast and the Furious movie. Yes. Guys, he was speed. Wow, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So because they left it open-ended... There are a few theories about who the director might be. I mean, feel free to tell me, but right now I'm just really happy. Yeah. I'm sad he was not in this, but really happy. Yeah. So the obvious, well, the obvious one we already talked about is Agent Locke, Ryan Reynolds' character. Um, he worked with Hobbs at the DSS. I mean, Ryan Reynolds opened his mouth and I was like, double agent. Yeah. But he wasn't. And then the voice modulator would, like, slip and it, like, kept going in and out and... It sounded a lot like Ryan Reynolds a couple times. It did, but it also kind of sounded like what's his face from Catastrophe? Uh, Rob Delaney. Yeah, like it yep. kind of sounded like his cadence and his voice kind of like him too. Um, they also set Locke up to be in the sequel. They did. Yeah. So perfect. Yep. Love it. Owen Shaw could be an option. It would explain why he wasn't in this movie. Oh, I like that a lot. He went head to head with Hobbs in Fast and Furious Six, but. Owen is Shaw's brother, yeah. so it would make more sense if he teased a history with Shaw than Hobbes. Yeah, but I do like that still. I like it because it explains why Owen wasn't in this movie. <laughs> right. Um, Which, it's not going to be him, because that would make too much sense. No. These movies do not um, typically make sense. Another option is Cypher, Charlize Theron's character. I would like that. I mean, I want her to come back. Um, she is going to be in Fast and Furious 9. Amazing. 
But, but she'll probably be a good guy, so. Uh, right, and it doesn't totally track. I was going to say, like, history with Hobbs. Mm, not so much. That's, that's, that's weak. Another option is John Cena, who is slated to be the villain in The Fast and Furious 9th. Um, I can't say that being his voice at all, but no, I don't care. But it's fine. also, like, if you consider the fact that they were both in WWE, the whole having a history with Hobbs is, like, super meta and really funny. Done. I accept. Um, and then my favorite theory is it's Hobbs' father. Yeah, we talked about this in the movie. Right. So I like this a lot, too. Hobbs revealed that his father was sort of a crime boss in Samoa and, like, used his brothers and him to, like, run jobs and, like, didn't really care who got hurt right. and, like, didn't care about the family. And so he turned his father in to protect the family, and that's kind of what made him leave the island because right. they didn't appreciate it. They were mad that he betrayed his family. So that would track. That would make sense. I like it. Yeah. I take that. Um, and that would leave it open for casting choices as well. Ooh, who could that be? I don't know. Okay, so listen. <laughs> he's not old enough, but it just comes to mind because he's played everyone's father in a big franchise. I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about. They could age him up. Yeah. So I'm talking about Tamara Morrison. He is he's a Jango Fett. He's Jango Fett. He is... And all the clones. And all the clones. And all the voice of the clones and voice of Boba Fett in the remastered Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. He is um, Moana's father. Yes, in Moana. Moana. And then he is also uh, Aquaman's father in, in Aquaman. Aquaman. I really loved him as Aquaman. I feel like they're about the same age. Let's look him up. I feel like they are. Wait, how old is The Rock again? 47. He's probably in his 50s. Oh, he is 58. So he is 11 years older than The Rock. It's not enough IRL, but if Meryl, St- <laughs> if Andy Garcia can be Meryl Streep's father, you know what? Anything is <laughs> anything is possible. <laughs> if the age difference between Hattie and Deckard went from five years There's to twenty years, it's fine. Yeah. Um, Again, The Rock controls space and time. I'm adding space into that. He controls space and time in this film, so it makes sense. Is Luke Hobbs a Time Lord? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just decided just now. Yes, Luke Cobbs is a Time Lord, and therefore his dad can be 11 years older than him. The end. That's fair. I mean, I would love... There are plenty of actors out there, but just cast Tamir Morrison, because at this point he has played everyone's dad, so let him be Hobbs' dad. Yeah. It's a funny trend, and I love it. He's the dad. I love him. Um, I love him, too. He's a very, like, nice voice. Yeah. All right, my last question is Hattie hacking handguns. I mean, first of all... This comp- this like secret evil shadowy agency has weapons that require a chip to activate them. Right. So they can only be fired if the user is wearing a chip embedded glove. Which my first thought when he was like, "Oh, you can't fire that because you're not wearing a chip," was like, "Holy shit, that's so smart! They have chips embedded into their employees' skin." That's what I thought too. No, wrong. Nope, it's a glove. Because not sure why a cybernetics company wouldn't implant chips directly into their employees. It would make it so much less likely to be hijacked. And also, just like, like that's like really weird and futuristic and like, oh shit, and like dystopian, like yeah. But no, it's so just a glove. So let's also do this. Continue this. Nope, nope. So anyone can put on the glove. Hattie does. She steals the In glove in five seconds, and, and then, then she keeps the somehow, glove. Hacks into this chip using what looked like an Apple II. And again, she was never established to be a hacker, and then they're like, can you hack it? I'm like, no, call it f***ing ludicrous. Right, so Hattie somehow hacks into this chip, and then by doing that on Samoa, disables all of the Edian chips, despite 
them likely not having any sort of connective network because why would they have a connective network that leaves software susceptible to attack? Also, like, even if they had a network, is there no security? Like, how did the Edian not know that Hattie was on there disabling I mean, the, the technology in this, in that precise situation, like, everything else, no, but specifically about the chips and the guns was like the way tech would be in, like, a, a How Did This Get Made movie from, like, the 90s or the 80s. Yeah. Where they don't understand technology works. Like, it just, it was like, wow, this is... A sixty-year-old man wrote this. Like, right. this makes no. Who doesn't understand tech? This makes no sense. Right. Like, the whole. So they, when the Edian army arrives on Samoa, they can't use their weapons. Right. Which is good because the Samoans only have like spears because they got rid of their guns because they were bad for their people. Which felt like it was a very weak like argument about like gun control. Similar to the fake news thing, it felt like that started as something big and got turned into get toned down. Especially because it's like they're getting ready for the battle. And he's like, oh, we have an armory. And he opens up the big closet where his crime boss dad clearly used to keep guns. And there's just, like, these, like, old, like, javelins and spears and stuff. And so he's like, okay, we're going to war with the family heirlooms. But then after they beat Brixton, it, like, goes back to the death box battle. Mm -hmm. And all the Edian people are surrendering because, like, another gang of Samoans have shown up on their motorcycles, also only carrying spears. Yep. They also establish that Hobbs' brother Jonah has, like, created this custom mechanic workshop where they, like, soup up all these old cars and, like, ship them all over the world because, quote, people seem to like them. And it's like, is this their way of, like, establishing that they do all of the body work on the future Fast and Furious crew cars? Absolutely, and I'm here for it. But I mean, it was bananas. This was also taking place, again, anything in Samoa is taking place in the act that was the bonus act, is what I'm gonna call it. Yeah. Because, again, this movie, like, starts out, there's, like, the virus they have to get, they come together, they have to work together, they have to save the girl, they have to get the MacGuffin, they go, there's, like, a huge chase that ends in a spectacular explosion, and, like, a bad guy villain speech... And then you think they're going to go get it out of her and it's going to be the end of the movie. No, no, no. There's a whole bonus act. Yeah, and it just did not make sense. As we said earlier, like, it felt like the end because, you know, we have the bad guy monologue. And, like, it was all tidied and wrapped up. Like, they had the MacGuffin. They got the girl a back. crazy speech. They, they a crazy chase. Like, all this stuff. They outran and survived the explosion. And then she's like, oh, no. The MacGuffin. It's super broken. Surprise third act. <laughs> it was like, and it just, I feel like if they had, like, emphasized throughout the chase that the MacGuffin was broken and there wasn't the bad guy speech, you know what I mean? There's ways you could have, like, made that feel like it was, like, they were, you knew it was not the end. Yeah. And it just or, like, felt like even it was if they, like, the they hadn't, if they hadn't killed the Russian scientist right then. Yeah. Like, if he had still been alive in, like, a hostage or something. Sorry, I got to talk about the Russian scientist for a second, too. So there's a... He somehow gets his hands on the flamethrower. <laughs> and I wrote down... Such vibes of Once Upon a Time. I wrote Hollywood. down unintentional Tarantino reference. <laughs> because there's no way it was a Tarantino reference because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just came out. Right. Spoiler. There's some flamethrower action. I won't explain why. And I just... Lindsay and I were dying. I, mean, I was dying laughing. It was... It honestly felt like it was, like, parodying it. And it was great. I loved like, it. Before... 
before he, like, escapes with Hattie and the MacGuffin, like, he's being held up like a pig in a slaughterhouse with chains. Yep. And there's, in like... In a shooting range. Right. And Idris Elba is, like, you know, he's, like, trying to intimidate him, and he's shooting up stuff around him, and he's like, whatever, like, I don't care what you have to say. And so he, like, walks up to him carrying this thing, and it turns out to be a flamethrower. And he gives this whole, like, monologue about how, like, human beings aren't actually worth that much. Like, you know, there's, like, a negligible amount of iron, mm-hmm. and, like, all the stuff at the, at the end of the day, you're just loose change. And he, as he's saying this, he's, like, you know, flamethrowering around him. And then, so during this, like, chaotic battle scene, scientist gets the flamethrower, lights he's yourself on fire. Yep. Apparently he's also flameproof. Whatever. I mean, he ran through some brick walls and, like, caught bullets in his hand. But did you catch what he said? I probably did, but I forget telling you what he said. So he, like, pops out of nowhere to light him on fire, and he goes, I won't be spare change! That's and right. lights him up! In his mad Russian accent. And then continued to light everything on fire around him. I mean, dude went ham with his flamethrower, and then he died, which was sad. Yeah, with the neck snap. Um, it wasn't sad. I was like, oh, wait, he's dead. Okay. Oh, man, he really was Black Superman. He snapped a guy's neck. <laughs> I mean, these movies are also, this was, they're always extremely racially diverse. This is not like. Yeah, part. they are also, I forget the term for it. Um, They're racially diversely attended, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, they're extremely popular worldwide and across multiple cultures and in different countries. Yep. It's why they keep making them. That's why right. there was a spin-off. That, and that's why they're so wildly successful is because, like, they are so popular everywhere. Like, people just f***ing love these movies because they're so insane. But also because, like, they are just very racially diverse. Right. Like, the main core crew of the actual, like, mainstream movies is less than 50% white. Right. It's probably the most racially diverse franchise that's currently No, it definitely America. is, because they're all main characters that have, like, main plot lines, and they have been since the beginning, like, since the first one, and it's, it, this doesn't happen. Like, in fact, Triple X Returns of the Cage took a page out of their book and did pretty okay at the box office, actually. I remember being in the movie being like, you got a bunch of international, like, superstars, and, like, it makes sense. Yep. Yeah. It's smart. You know, why? Because people like being represented in their films. Yeah, like going big, I want to go see a movie where there's, like, a little bit of me in there. Mm-hmm. It clearly works. I feel like that, like, going to Samoa felt very, like, mm, The Rock is, like, A, a big enough star now, and B, has been in enough of these movies that, like, he can call the shots a little bit. Oh, that 100%. felt yeah, It felt a little bit. Like, that, not in a bad way, but it definitely felt like, yeah, I'm going to have this be, this movies. these movies are all about family, I'm going to have this be, like, specific, which is fine. Like, yeah. But it was definitely, like, I can call the shots and be like, oh, it's a spinoff? We're definitely going to, like, have some, like, cultural relevance. And he was a producer on it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, we've said it a million ways. This movie was insane, but it was fun. (laughs) It was so fun. I mean, like, would you recommend this movie? Oh, my gosh, yes. Me too. With a bottle of wine. (laughs) Yeah, like, bring a lot of alcohol. Beer will not do it. It's got to be, like, wine, hard liquor. But, like, I lo- like, I enjoy- I laughed a lot. Like, the- like, yeah, like, a lot of it is me laughing at the movie. Some of it was laughing with the movie. I love this movie. It was so fun. Yeah. And, again, it was exactly what I thought it would be. With like, the exception of the I, headbutt, which I, I was waiting for, <laughs> and I'm still pissed about. I got dumb luck fun. 
learned some cultural relevance and how to pronounce the word Samoa. And Vanessa Kirby has been reaffirmed as an awesome action star that I want to see kick butt and everything. Yeah, she can be in everything. In general, too, just like as an action movie, this was not, I also appreciate this, not filled with a bunch of like cuts in the fight scenes. Actually, a lot of cool camera angles with the fight scenes, like yes. overhead shots that like follow this. And I think I liked that a lot. It's it's clear because like I think that's a testament to David Leach. Yeah, like he he this is what he does. He gets it. Yeah, he does it really well. Yeah, that's sort of like a parody of Marvel now. Like all of their fight scenes are cut, 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 cut. I hate it. I hate it so much. This was not. It honestly actually wasn't, and it makes you like the fight scenes more because you feel like you're actually watching them in real time and know what's happening. You can see and appreciate the choreography better too. Yeah, and you know what's happening. You just you can see what's happening. I mean, this movie was ridiculous. Go see it. Go see it. It was so fun. I loved it. It was awesome. Loved it. All right. I have no idea what we're doing next. So in the meantime, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr. Our website is popculturerewrites.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for listening. Marie, any last words? Genocide. Schmenocide. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>